0: 2. Isis might be commenced, and to perform the proper religious rites on the declaration of war. He also founded a colony at Ostia at the mouth of the Tiber, built a fortress on the Janiculum as a protection against the Etruscans, and united it with the city by a bridge across the Tiber, called the Pons Ciblusius, because it was made of wooden piles, and erected a prison to restrain offenders. He died after a reign of 24 years. Footnote 3, the Palladium was a statue of Pallas or Minerva, which was said to have fallen from heaven, and was preserved at Rome with the most sacred care, footnote 4, the Sabines were called Choirites, and this name was afterward applied to the Roman people in their civil capacity, footnote 6, these shields were called Aencilia, one of these shields is said to have fallen from heaven, and numerous ordered 11 others to be made exactly like it, that it might not be known and stolen, chapter III, the last three kings of Rome, and the establishment of the Republic down to the Battle of the Lake Arigi B.C. 616-498. 5. Reign of LUCIUS IUS Priscus, or the Elder Tarquinius, B.C. 616-578. The fifth king of Rome was an Etruscan by birth, but a Greek by descent. His father Demaratus was a wealthy citizen of Corinth, who settled in the Etruscan city of Tarquinii, where he married an Etruscan wife their son married Tanakil, who belonged to one of the noblest families in Tarquinii, and himself became a Lucula or a noble in the state, but he aspired to still higher honours, and, urged on by his wife, who was an ambitious woman, he resolved to try his fortune at Rome, accordingly, he set out for the city, accompanied by a large train of followers, when he had reached the Janiculum an eagle seized his cap, and, after carrying it away to a great height, placed it again upon his head. Tanaciel, who was skilled in the Etruscan science of augury, bade her husband hope for the highest honors. Her predictions were soon verified. He took the name of Lucius Tarquinis Pricus, and gained the favor both of Ancus Marcius and the people. Ancus appointed the stranger guardian of his children, and, when he died, the Senate and the people unanimously elected Tarquin to the vacant throne. The reign of Tarquin was distinguished by great exploits in war and by great works in peace. He defeated the Sabines, and took their town Calatia, which he placed under his nephew Agrius, who was thence called Calatinius. He also captured many of the Latin towns, and became the ruler of all Alatium, but the important works which he executed in peace have rendered his name still more famous. The great Cloacae, or Sewers, by which he drained the lower parts of the city, still remain. After so many ages, with not a stone displaced, he laid out the circus Maximus, and instituted the great or Roman games performed in the circus. He also made some changes in the constitution of the state. He added to the Senate 100 new members, taken from the Luciers, the third tried and called Thetors Minorum Gentium, to distinguish them from the old senators, who were now termed Thetors Majorum Gentium. To the three centuries of equites established by Romulus he wished to add three new centuries, and to call them after himself and two of his friends, but his plan was opposed by the augur at his who said that the gods forbade it. The tale runs that the king, to test the augur, asked him to divine whether what he was thinking of could be done. After consulting the heavens, the augur replied that it could, whereupon the king said, I was thinking that thou shouldst cut this whetstone with a razor, navies. Without a moment's hesitation, took a razor and cut it in twain. In consequence of this miracle, Tarquin gave up his design of establishing new centuries. But with each of the former centuries, he associated another under the same name, so that henceforth there were the first and second Rams, Taishis, and Luciers. The number of Vestal virgins was also increased from four to six. The two new Vestals being probably taken from the Luciers. Tarquin had a favorite, Servius Tullis, said to have been the son of a female slave taken at the capture of the Latin town Corniculum, his infancy was marked by prodigies which foreshadowed his future greatness, on one occasion a flame played around his head, as he was asleep, without harming him, Tanekeel foresaw the greatness of the boy, and from this time he was brought up as the king's child, Tarquin afterward gave him his daughter in marriage, and left the government in his hands, but the sons of Ancus Marcius fearing lest Tarquin should transmit the crown to his son-in-law, hired two countrymen to assassinate the king, these men, feigning to have a quarrel, came before the king to have their dispute decided, and while he was listening to the complaint of one, the other gave him a deadly wound with his axe, but the sons of Encus did not reap the fruit of their crime, for Tanaquil, pretending that the king's wound was not mortal, told them that he would soon return, and that he had, meantime appointed Servies to act in his stead. Servies forthwith proceeded to discharge the duties of king, greatly to the satisfaction of the people, and when the death of Tarquin could no longer be concealed, he was already in firm possession of the regal power. Tarquin had reigned thirty-eight years. 6. S.E.R.V.I.U.S.T.U.L.I.U.S. B.C. 578-534. Servies thus succeeded to the throne without being elected by the Senate and the Assembly of the Curie. The reign of the skin is almost as barren of military exploits as that of Numa. His great deeds were those of peace, and he was regarded by posterity as the author of the later Roman constitution, just as Romulus was of the earlier. Three important acts are assigned to surveys by universal tradition. Of these the greatest was, either the reform of the Roman constitution. In this reform his two main objects were to give the Plebeians political rights and to assign to property that influence in the state which had previously belonged exclusively to birth, to carry his purpose into effect he made a twofold division of the Roman people, one territorial and the other according to property. It must be recollected that the only existing political organization was that of the patricians into three tribes, thirty curii, and three hundred gents, but Servius now divided the whole Roman territory into thirty tribes, and, as this division was simply local, these tribes contained plebeians as well as patricians, but, though the institution of the thirty tribes gave the plebeians a political organization, it conferred upon them no political power, nor any right to take part in the elections, or in the management of public affairs, At a later time the tribes assembled in the forum for the transaction of business, and were hence called comitia tributa. the patricians were then excluded from this assembly, which was summoned by the tribunes of the plebs, and was entirely plebeian. The means by which surveys gave the plebeians a share in the government was by establishing a new popular assembly, in which patricians and plebeians alike voted. It was so arranged that the wealthiest persons, whether patricians or plebeians, possessed the chief power. In order to ascertain the property of each citizen, Servius instituted the census, which was a register of Roman citizens and their property. All Roman citizens possessing property to the amount of 12.500 asses and upward were divided into five great classes. The first class contained the richest citizens, the second class the next in point of wealth, and so on. The whole arrangement was of a military character. Each of the five classes was divided into a certain number of centuries or companies, half of which consisted of seniors from the age of 46 to 60, and half of juniors from the age of 17 to 45. All the classes had to provide their own arms and armor, but the expense of the equipment was in proportion to the wealth of each class. The five classes formed the infantry. To these five classes were added two centuries of smiths and carpenters, and two of trumpeters and horn blowers. These four centuries voted with the classes. Those persons whose property did not amount to 12.500 asses were not included in the classes, and formed a single century. At the head of the classes were the Equites or Cavalry. These consisted of eighteen centuries, six being the old Patrician Equites, as founded by Romulus and augmented by Tarquinius Pricus, and the other twelve being chosen from the chief plebeian families. The centuries formed the new National Assembly. They mustered as an army in the Campus Martius, or the Field of Mars, on the banks of the Tiber, outside the city. They voted by centuries, and were hence called the Comitia Centuriata. Each century counted as one vote, but did not consist of the same number of men. On the contrary, in order to give the preponderance to a wealth, the first or richest class contained a far greater number of centuries than any of the other classes as will be seen from the table below. Although they must at the same time have included a much smaller number of men, the equites and first class alone amounted to a 100 centuries, or more than half of the total number, so that, if they agreed to vote the same way, they possessed at once an absolute majority. An advantage was also given to age. For the seniors, though possessing an equal number of votes, must of course have been very inferior in number to the juniors. Surveys made the commisarchy to the sovereign assembly of the nation, and he accordingly transferred to it from the commisarchy the right of electing kings and the higher magistrates, of enacting and repealing laws, and of deciding in cases of appeal from the sentence of a judge but he did not dare to abolish the old patrician assembly, and was even obliged to enact that no vote of the comitia centuriata should be valid till it had received the sanction of the comitia curiata. Thus, in consequence of the legislation, we shall find that Rome subsequently possessed three sovereign assemblies, 1. the comitia centuriata, consisting of both patricians and plebeians, and voting according to centuries, 2. the comitia curiata, consisting exclusively of patricians and voting according to Curie, 3, the comitia attributed, exclusively of plebeians, and voting according to tribes, ii, the second great work of Servies was the extension of the pomoim, or hallowed boundary of the city, and the completion of the city by incorporating with it the quirinal, the and esquiline hills, he surrounded the whole with a stone wall, called after him the wall of Servies Tullies, and from the porticolina to the esquiline gate, where the hill sloped gently to the plain, he constructed a gigantic mound nearly a mile in length, and a moat one hundred feet in breadth and thirty in depth, from which the earth of the mound was dug, Ronas acquired a circumference of five miles, and this continued to be the legal extent of the city till the time of the emperors, although suburbs were added to it, an important alliance with the Latins, by which Rhone and the cities of Latium became the members of one great league, was one of the great events which distinguished the reign of Servius. Servius gave his two daughters in marriage to the two sons of Tarquinis Pricus. Lucius, the elder, was married to a quiet and gentle wife, Aruns; the younger, to an aspiring and ambitious woman. The character of the two brothers was the very opposite of the wives who had fallen to their lot, for Lucius was proud and haughty, but Aruns unambitious and quiet, the wife of Aruns, enraged at the long life of her father and fearing that at his death her husband would tamely resign the sovereignty to his elder brother, resolved to murder both her father and husband. Her fiendish spirit put into the heart of Lucius' thoughts of crime which he had never entertained before. Lucius made way with his wife, and the younger Tullia with her husband, and the survivors, without even the show of mourning, were straightway joined in and hallowed wedlock. Talia now incessantly urged her husband to murder her father and thus obtain the kingdom which he so ardently coveted, Tarquin formed a conspiracy with the patricians, who were enraged at the reforms of Servius. and when the plot was ripe he entered the forum arrayed in the kindly robes, seated himself in the royal chair, in the senate house, and ordered the senators to be summoned to him as their king, that the first news of the commotion surveys hastened to the senate house, and, standing at the doorway, bade Tarquin to come down from the throne, but Tarquin sprang forward, seized the old man, and flung him down the stone steps, covered with blood, the king hastened home, but, before he reached it, he was overtaken by the servants of Tarquin, and murdered, Talia drove to the senate house and greeted her husband as king, but her transports of joy struck even him with horror, he bade her go home, and, as she was returning, her charioteer pulled up and plonked out the corpse of her father lying in his blood across the road, she commanded him to drive on, the blood of her father spurted over the carriage and on her dress, and from that day forward the place bore the name of the wicked street. The body lay unburied, for Tarquin said, scoffingly, Romulus II went without burial, and this impious mockery is said to have given rise to his surname of Superbus, or the Proud. Servius had reigned forty-four years. Seven. Reign of LUCIUS TARQUINIUS SUPRBUS, or the Proud. B.C. 534-510. Tarquin commenced his reign without any of the forms of election. One of his first acts was to abolish all the privileges which had been conferred upon the plebeians by surveys. He also compelled the poor to work at miserable wages upon his magnificent buildings. And the hardships which they suffered were so great that many put an end to their lives. But he did not confine his oppressions to the poor, all the senators and patricians whom he mistrusted, or whose wealth he coveted were put to death or driven into exile. He surrounded himself with a bodyguard, by whose means he was enabled to carry out his designs. But, although a tyrant at home, he raised the state to great influence and power among the surrounding nations, partly by his alliances and partly by his conquests. He gave his daughter in marriage to Octavius Mamillius, of Tusculum, the most powerful of the lands, by whose means he acquired great influence in Lashun, any Latin chiefs like Ternus Herodonis, who attempted to resist him, were treated as traitors, and punished with death. At the solemn meeting of the Latins at the Halban Mount, Tarquin sacrificed the bull on behalf of all the allies, and distributed the flesh to the people of the League. Strengthened by this Latin alliance, Tarquin turned his arms against the Volscians. He took the wealthy town of Suessopondia, with the spoils of which he commenced the erection of a magnificent temple on the Capitoline Hill. Which his father had vowed. This temple was dedicated to the three gods of the Latin and Etruscan religions. Jupiter, Juno, and Minerva. A human head kaput, fresh, bleeding and indicated, is said to have been found by the workmen as they were digging the foundations, and being accepted as a sign that the place was destined to become the head of the world. The name of CAPIDOLIUM was given to the temple, and thence to the hill, in a stone vault beneath were deposited the Sibylline books. Containing obscure and prophetic sayings. One day a Sibyl, a prophetess from Kumi, appeared before the king and offered to sell him nine books. Upon his refusing to buy them, she went away and burned three, and then demanded the same sum for the remaining six as she had asked for the nine. But the king laughed, whereupon she again burned three and then demanded the same sum as before for the remaining three. Wondering at this strange conduct, the king purchased the books, they were placed under the care of two patricians and were consulted when the state was in danger, Tarquin next attacked Gabii, one of the Latin cities, which refused to enter into the league, unable to take the city by force, he had recourse to stratagem, his son, Sextus, pretending to be ill, treated by his father, and covered with the bloody marks of stripes, fled to Gabii, the infatuated inhabitants entrusted him with the command of their troops, and when he had obtained the unlimited confidence of the citizens, he sent a messenger to his father to inquire how he should deliver the city into his hands. The king, who was walking in his garden when the messenger arrived, made no reply, but kept striking off the heads of the tallest poppies with his stick. Sextus took the hint. He put to death or banished, on false charges, all the leading men of the place, and then had no difficulty in compelling it to submit to his father. In the midst of his prosperity Tarquin was troubled by a strange portent, a serpent crawled out from the altar in the royal palace, and seized on the entrails of the victim. The king, in fear, sent his two sons, Titus and Aruns, to consult the oracle at Delphi. They were accompanied by their cousin Eljunius Brutus. One of the sisters of Tarquin had been married to M. Brutus, a man of great wealth, who died, leaving two sons under age. Of these the elder was killed by Tarquin. Who coveted their possessions, the younger escaped his brother's fate only by feigning idiopathy. On arriving at Delphi, Brutus propitiated the priestess with the gift of a golden stick included in a hollow staff. After executing the king's commission, Titus and Aruns asked the priestess who was to arraign at Rome after their father. The priestess replied, whichsoever should first kiss his mother. The princes agreed to keep the matter secret from Sextus, who was at Rome, and to cast lots between themselves. Brutus, who better understood the meaning of the oracle, fell, as if by chance, when they quitted the temple, and kissed the earth, the mother of them all, soon afterward Tarquin laid siege to Ordi, a city of the Rutulians, the place could not be taken by force, and the Roman army lay encamped beneath the walls, here, as the king's sons, and their cousin Tarquines call were feasting together, a dispute arose about the virtue of their wives, as nothing was doing in the field, they mounted their horses to visit their homes by surprise, they first went to Rome, where they surprised the king's daughters at a splendid banquet, they then hastened to Calatia, and there, though it was late in the night, they found Lucretia, the wife of Coladenus, skinning amid her handmaids, the beauty and virtue of Lucretia excited the evil passions of Sextus, a few days after he returned to Calatia, where he was hospitably received by Lucretia as her husband's kinsman. In the dead of night he entered her chamber with a drawn sword, threatening that, if she did not yield to his desires, he would kill her and lay by her side a slave with his throat cut, and would declare that he had killed them both taken in adultery. Fear of such a shame forced Lucretia to consent, but, as soon as Sextus had departed, she sent for her husband and father. Colody news came, accompanied by Brutus, her father, Lucretius, brought with him cavilaries, They found her in an agony of sorrow. She told them what had happened, enjoined them to avenge her dishonor, and then stabbed herself to the heart. They all swore to avenge her. Brutus threw off his assumed stupidity, and placed himself at their head. They carried the corpse into the marketplace of Calatia. There the people took up arms, and renounced the Tarquins. A number of young men attended the funeral procession to her own. Brutus summoned the people, and related the deed of shame. All classes were inflamed with the same indignation. A decree was passed aid deposing the king, and banishing him and his family from the city. Brutus now set out for the army at Arde. tarquinis meantime had hastened to Rome, but found the gates closed against him. Brutus was received with joy at Arde, and the army renounced their allegiance to the tyrant. Tarquin, with his two sons, Titus and Arunes, took refuge at Seir, in Etruria. Sextus fled to Gabi where he was shortly after murdered by the friends of those whom he had put to death. Tarquin had reigned twenty-two years when he was driven out of Rome. In memory of this event an annual festival was celebrated on the 24th of February, called the Regifugium or Fugalia, the Republic, thus ended monarchy at Rome. Tarquin the proud had made the name of king so hateful that the people resolved to entrust the kinly power to two men, who were only to hold office for a year. In later times they were called consuls but at their first institution they were named praetors. They were elected by the curiata and possessed the same honors as the king had had. The first consuls were El Brutus and Tarquinis Coladenus BC 509, but the people so hated the very name and race of Tarquin, that Collatinus was obliged to resign his office and retire from Rome. Pivlaris was elected consul in his place. Meantime ambassadors came to Rome from Tarquin, asking that his private property should be given up to him. The demand seemed just to the Senate and the people, but, while the ambassadors were making preparation for carrying away the property, they formed a conspiracy among the young Roman nobles for the restoration of the royal family. The plot was discovered by means of a slave, and among the conspirators were found the two sons of Brutus himself, but the consul would not pardon his guilty children, and ordered the lictors to put them to death with the other traitors. The agreement to surrender the property was made void by this attempt at treason. The royal goods were given up to the people to plunder. As the plot had failed, Tarquin now endeavoured to recover the throne by arms. The people of Tarquinia and Vi espoused the cause of their Etruscan kinsmen, and marched against Rome. The two consuls advanced to meet them. When Aruns, the king's son, saw Brutus at the head of the Roman cavalry, he spurred his horse to the charge. Brutus did not shrink from the combat, and both fell from their horses mortally wounded by each other's spears. A desperate battle between the two armies now followed. Both parties claimed the victory, till a voice was heard in the dead of night, proclaiming that the Romans had conquered, as the Etruscans had lost one man more. Alarmed at this, the Etruscans fled, and Valerius, the surviving consul, returned to Rome, carrying within the dead body of Brutus. The matrons mourned for Brutus a whole year, because they had revenged the death of Lucretia. This was the first war for the restoration of Tarquin. Vleriz was now left without a colleague, and as he began to build a house on the top of the hill Velia, which looked down upon the forum, the people feared that he was aiming at kinley power, thereupon Vleriz not only pulled down the house, but, calling an assembly of the people, he ordered the lictors to lower the faces before them, as an acknowledgement that their power was superior to his, he likewise brought forward a law enacting that every citizen who was condemned by a magistrate should have a right of appeal to the people, Valerius became, in consequence, so popular that he received the surname of Publicola, or, the people's friend. Valerius then summoned an assembly for the election of a successor to Brutus, and Espy, Lucretius was chosen. Lucretius, however, lived only a few days, and M. Horishis was elected consul in his place. It was Horatius who had the honor of consecrating the temple on the capital, which Tarquin had left and finished when he was driven from the throne. The second year of the Republic B.C. 508 witnessed the second attempt of Tarquin to recover the crown. He now applied for help to Alars Porcina, the powerful ruler of the Etruscan town of Clusium, who marched against Rome at the head of a vast army. The Romans could not meet him in the field, and Porcina seized without opposition the Janiculum, a hill immediately opposite the city, and separated from it only by the Tiber. Rome was now in the greatest danger. And the Etruscans would have entered the city by the Sublution Bridge had not Horatius Cocles, with two comrades, kept the whole Etruscan army at bay while the Romans broke down the bridge behind him. When it was giving way he sent back his two companions, and withstood alone the attacks of the foe till the cracks of the falling timbers and the shouts of his countrymen told him that the bridge had fallen. Then praying, O Father Tiber, take me into thy charge and bear me up, he plunged into the stream and swam across in safety. Amid the arrows of the enemy, the state raised a statue in his honor, and allowed him as much land as he could plow around in one day. Few legends are more celebrated in Roman history than this gallant deed of Horatius, and Roman writers love to tell how well Horatius kept the bridge in the brave days of old. The Etruscans now proceeded to lay siege to the city, which soon began to suffer from famine. Thereupon a young Roman, named choose, resolved to deliver his country by murdering the invading king. He accordingly went over to the Etruscan camp, but, ignorant of the person of Porcina, killed the royal secretary instead, seized and threatened with torture. He thrust his right hand into the fire on the altar, and there let it burn, to show how little he heeded pain. Astonished at his courage, the king bade him depart in peace, and Mucius, out of gratitude, advised him to make peace with Rome, since three hundred noble youths. He said, had sworn to take the life of the king and he was the first upon whom the lot had fallen. Muchus was henceforward called Scavola, or the left-handed, because his right hand had been burnt off. Porcina, alarmed for his life, which he could not secure against so many desperate men, forthwith offered peace to the Romans on condition of their restoring to the Viendines the land which they had taken from them. These terms were accepted, and Porcina withdrew his troops from the Janiculum after receiving ten youths and ten maidens as hostages from the Romans. Chloelia, one of the maidens, escaped from the Etruscan camp, and swam across the Tiber to her own. She was sent back by the Romans to Porcina, who was so amazed at her courage that he not only set her at liberty, but allowed her to take with her those of the hostages whom she pleased. Thus ended the second attempt to restore the Tarquins by force. After Porcina quitted Rome, Tarquin took refuge with his son-in-law, Octavius Mamilius, of Tusculum, the thirty Latin cities now espoused the cause of the exiled king, and declared war against Rome. The contest was decided by the battle of the Lake Regius, which was long celebrated in Roman story, and the account of which resembles one of the battles in the Iliad. The Romans were commanded by the dictator, Aposumis, and by T. the master of the horse, At the head of the Latins were Tarquin and Octavius Mamilius. The struggle was fierce and bloody, but the Latins at length fled. Almost all the chiefs on either side fell in the conflict, or were grievously wounded. Titus, the son of Tarquin, was killed, and the aged kin was wounded, but escaped with his life. It was related in the old tradition that the Romans gained this battle by the assistance of the gods Castor and Pollux, who were seen charging the Latins at the head of the Roman cavalry, and who afterward carried to Arone the tidings of the victory. A temple was built in the forum on the spot where they appeared and their festival was celebrated yearly. This was the third and last attempt to restore the Tarquins. The Latins were completely humbled by this victory. Tarquini's superbus had no other state to which he could apply for assistance. He had already survived all his family, and he now fled to Cumi, where he died a wretched and childless old man B.C. 496. Footnote 8, the following table will show the census of each class, and the number of centuries which each contained, equites century 18 first class census 100.000 asses and upward century senior um 40 century junior um 40 82 century fabram smiths and carpenters to second class census 75.000 asses and upward century senior 10 century junior um 10 23rd class census 50.000 asses and upward Centuriai Seniorum 10th Centuriai Juniorum 10 24th class. Census 25.000 Asses and upward. Centuriae Seniorum 10th Century Juniorum 10 25th class. Census, 12.500 Asses and upward. Centuriae Seniorum 15th Century Juniorum 1532 Century Cornacinam. To the sinum to Centuria Kappa Censorum 1 sum total of the Centuria 198 Footnote 9. The celebrated seven hills upon which Rome stood were the Palatine, Evatine, Capitoline, Caelian, Quirinal, Viminal, and Esquiline. The Mons Pinces was not included within the Servian Wall. Footnote 10. The following genealogical table exhibits the relationship of the family Demarades of Corinth, T A R Q U I N I U S P R I S C U S Aruns, Tarquinia, Tarquinia, L T A R Q U I N I U S Aruns, Agrius. Married married S.U.P.R.B.U.S. Commander of Servies Tullis. M. Brutus. Colatia. M. Brutus. L. Brutus. Titus. Sextus. Aruns. Tarquinis put to the Colodenus. Death by consul. Married Tarquinis. Lucretia. Footnote 11. The lictors were public officers who attended upon the Roman magistrate. Each consul had twelve lictors. They carried upon their shoulders gases, which were rods bound in the form of a bundle, and containing an axe in the middle footnote 12 their island however reason to believe that these brillia.